morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for stopping back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Team Rhino Outdoors. If you're looking for musky gear for your next musky fishing adventure, we have it all. TeamRhinoOutdoors.com and Musky Mayhem Tackle, the original Flashaboo Big Bladed Bucktails. You can find those at www.muskymayhemtackle.com. Along with our websites, you can find us on all of the social media networks, you know, Facebook, Instagram. I think I'm on Twitter, but I know that Musky Mayhem isn't. YouTube, we both have YouTube channels, so check those out as well. I want to thank everybody for stopping back for another episode. Our guest this week is Doug Warren for Mad Charters. He's a guide out of northern Michigan, and quite honestly, in the last, I would say, five to seven years Doug's put some super giant fish in the boat so it's really cool that he decided to take some time out of his schedule and stop by and and talk musky fishing with us. I don't have a guest this week the hoppies are off chasing muskies with keys outdoors so they were both ineligible to show up unless I was willing to burn the midnight oil again and I wasn't willing to do that so flying solo which is fine I don't mind doing it it's just you know, just doing the job that we got to do to put out content every week. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed this, the guests that we've had recently. And, you know, we just want to thank everybody again for all their support of this podcast over the past two years. I think this is episode maybe 133 or so. So we put out 133 episodes in a row. And, you know, we're thankful. We wouldn't be doing that if you guys weren't listening. And so that's, it's great that you guys stop in. I don't have much for an intro this week. Not much has happened in my world. I've been spending a lot of time in the shop, and you know we want to thank everybody for that as well. It's been a busy fall that way. Weather looks good to continue to get out chasing muskies, at least in my range. I don't see any you know cool temperatures coming in the next 14 days unless something changes real soon. I hope everybody's out enjoying the weather. I hope they're getting their muskie fix in, putting some fish in the net. And I'm going to go get on the phone with Doug Warren. All right, our guest today is Doug Warren, Mad Charters. He fishes out of northern Michigan, and you may have, if you follow Keys Outdoors at all, you might have noticed Doug on an episode. I don't know, Doug, how many fish did you catch in that episode? 16, 18, something ridiculous? We did. We got 16 fish during that uh, approximately two and a half days. So, yeah, that was a, that was a good time and put together some good footage and uh, we did struggle a little bit with some footage because of the cold weather because it was the first week of December. No, it, was a, it was a good time and, you know, the fish were going for sure. I know that over the years I've followed you and we've messaged back and forth and you've definitely put some, you know, we'll call them almost like mega giants, I guess is a better word. I mean, you've put some really, really big fish in the boat. I can't remember, did you guys get any of those? Like, you know, that, because I, I mean, I'm thinking you're pushing, what, 54 inches, some of these beasts that you put in the boat? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, have, have yet to break a 55 inch mark, but those, those fish that are pushing, you know, their 52s and 53s and 54s, uh, they're just huge fish, you know, and we got, uh, the biggest, biggest fish in my boat last year, which was like 53 and three quarter. I mean, it was as close to 54 as you can get, but with a 27 inch girth, I mean, you're talking a 50 pound fish and it was just, uh, it, it was a huge, huge, huge fish. Yeah, probably the biggest, probably the biggest muskie I'll, uh, you know, I, I still have it kind of set in my mind that that's probably the biggest muskie I'll, I'll see, uh, in my lifetime maybe, but who knows, maybe not, but it was big. It was just really, really fat and just a huge fish that, uh, you know, end of November 
great opportunity, great, great fish. I know that in, you know, previous conversations that we've had or, you know, messages back and forth, it sounds like you're fishing, I would say like a relatively unpressured body of water. Is that still the case these days or is it not so much? So it's definitely starting to get some activity now, no doubt. You know, you can't hide things for too long or, uh, you know, Facebook posts and whatever else, people certainly start to get aware and uh, it doesn't take much to, to see what's going on uh, for other fishermen. So it's starting to see a little bit more pressure and certainly, and, and even some of the local guys that, you know, weren't into musky fishing, but after they see a, a guy catch a few 40, 50 pounders, they, they start to get quite a bit more interested in musky fishing. So, so it, but it, it's still, I would say, relatively unpressured. You know, for the most part, uh, there's still a very frequent times when you're out there and there's not a whole lot of people around, that's for sure. Sure. Well, we can get into big water and the, you know, the big fish that you've been catching and we kind of talk about how to break down big water a little bit. And then I know one of the, you know, one of the tools you've been using is a double dog and we can get into that. But before we get started, you know, it's the first time you've been ever been on the podcast. Why don't you talk a little bit about your background, kind of what got you started in musky fishing? Because I know, you know, big water wasn't necessarily your start. It sounded like you got started on some rivers. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? And for our listeners, why don't you talk a little bit about where they can, you know, reach out and find you if they're, you know, inclined to get more information about you or potentially want to book a trip. And, you know, if you scroll down his Facebook page, especially if you go into like the November, December time, if you're still out there and you have the heart to brave the uh, the temperatures, uh, some of the fish that Doug puts in the boat during that time frame are simply unbelievable. So I'll leave it up to you, Doug. Why don't you talk a little bit about the beginning and uh, your guide service and everything, you know, what, what got you into fishing? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. So Mad Charters is the name of uh, the, the charter business that I have. Uh, the mad part, M-A-D, actually stands for musky angler, Doug. So a lot of people ask me, you know, why mad charters? But uh, anyways, and, and that was an email address that I started, uh, you know, years ago when I was younger. So uh, people can reach me. You know, Facebook is probably one of the best avenues to get a hold of me at. I do have a Facebook page for mad charters. And, of course, my cell phone, 906-322-2653. Call or text me anytime. Um, I don't have a website, you know, I, I, I do guiding simply as a, as a side gig. I got a full-time job that keeps me busy and pays the bills, but, uh, I really enjoy sharing the fishing experience with other people. And, uh, you know, I'm not in the guiding business for the money. I'm in it just to have fun and really to share the experience with others. And I've got, you know, I just enjoy doing that. It's, uh, I've caught plenty of my own big fish and I just, I really enjoy seeing people get the opportunity to catch their own big fish and, and take a picture of them and, and, you know, get a huge rush just off of seeing that. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, but, um, yeah, I grew up at a younger age, probably like a lot of, a lot of other people, you know, introduced to fishing from your dad and, uh, my father, you know, introduced fishing and, uh, used to go out and catch a few musky and pike here and there as I sat at home at a younger age and, uh, just kind of eventually grew into that to where I had an opportunity and, and that was, you know, mid eighties that started musky fishing, uh, a river system that our family had a cabin on in, in Ontario in Northern Ontario, kind of a smaller river system, a lot of timber, fair amount of current, just a super fun place to fish and had no idea at that age that I was as spoiled as what I was. We would go out and I think I had my own boat when I was 12 years old and, you know, it was nothing to go out and catch two or three fish every time you went down the river fishing and you'd see a bunch of fish and, um, you know, looking back on it now, you realize how spoiled you were that you could go out and fish and 
you know, catch a couple of muskies a day was no big deal. That was, I thought that was the norm. That, that was just the way it was for us. And, you know, nowadays you realize that that's, uh, that's not really the case. You, you know, a lot of people put in a lot of effort just to catch a couple of fish a year. <laughs> and, and here we were catching, you know, one, two, three fish a day was, was just the norm. I mean, that's just what we did. So, but, um, grew up with a lot of, you know, and a lot of, uh, bucktail fishing, glide baits and stuff with, with that river system and got to learn that those fish, I, I really got to learn quite a few things about those fish, but what I was surprised by the most was just how territorial those fish seemed to be. Strictly casting that riverbank uh, against, you know, fallen timber, logs that are in the water. Um, you've got these curved out corners that are 13, 14 feet deep, but your boat's only sitting in nine or 10 foot of water. So the corners are actually deeper, you know, and, um, and you would have fish that you could cast on the right side of the log you know, maybe the downstream side of a log and you would see a fish come out and you'd see that fish every time you cast on the right side of the log. But, you know, if you ever drifted down there and you cast it on the left side, you didn't see that fish. Um, and just, it surprised me how certain spots in the river system, certain areas, uh, how many fish they would hold, how the fish would be right in those exact same spots. And uh, how territorial they were. They just, they, they were there and they were always at the same spot, you know, and you might not catch that fish. You might see that fish three, four, five, six, seven times in a row or something before you did hook them or before you caught them. But boy, they were, they were always right on the exact same cast. It was just crazy to me. So I don't know if you, you know, I'm curious if you've ever experienced anything like that or if other people have, you know, are experienced that as well, especially with river fishing. But, um, that was that was a lot of my experience and how territorial those things were in, in that river system. Yeah, I think you even get that in lakes a little bit. You know, you get that, you know, maybe not, maybe not so specific like you said in there in the rivers. You know, where they'd be like right behind this one area, but like, I, it seems like those lake fish kind of develop a home range. Especially, I mean, the ones that the the, the Green Bay fish would say were were different. Those fish are they're migrating. You know, basically following bait, so they kind of slide around within the system. But the ones, you know, on like the northern Wisconsin lakes that we fish, you, you can find, you know, fish in those general areas or the same fish within 100 yards of that area from, you know, season after season. I'd imagine on the rivers, are you, do you think you found the same fish season after season the same way? Or was it just that was a good spot? So every season there was a new fish there? Yeah, I think there was a, you know, I think there was a change of fish. I don't think you had the, the same fish in the exact same spot every time, of course, but. Um, cause there was, I mean, like I said, there was so many fish, especially during certain periods of time. And, you know, there was certainly a period of time, you know, I would say the late eighties to early nineties, that just the amount of fish that we caught out of that system was, you know, was pretty obnoxious. So I don't think you had the same fish, you know, year to year, but year to year, of course, those spots were very productive. But again, just the sole fact that, you know, you could take a, you could take a friend down the river fishing and you could be like, okay, like get ready because if you cast on the right-hand side of this stump, you'll probably see this fish and you know, I just wouldn't cast. And sure enough, you know, the guy would cast on the left side, nothing happens. The guy cast on the right side, two cranks, boom, fish. And it just was so repetitive. So just, it just, you know, crazy. And, and it just territorial and a, it made it pretty easy too, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it just, 
you know, really, really entertaining. And I think some of those fish we did catch over and over, you know, we'd, we'd let, you'd let a fish go and, you know, I think we'd catch fish over and over. We just never knew it. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you in the eighties and nineties, if I caught a tiger muskie, I know there's been some tiger muskies caught in that system. And I, I know at a young age and through the eighties and I would have, you know, if I caught a tiger muskie, I would have just thought, Oh, look at that one's cool looking. Uh, and we didn't, didn't pay enough attention. We didn't know any better. So. Yeah, well, you didn't have cameras and stuff everywhere either, so you probably weren't no. taking nearly as many yeah. pictures of these things as as what they do now. <laughs> I mean, you no, know. no, no, no cameras, no GoPros, no videos. Just uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fun experiences with family and friends, and and uh, yeah. So, but, but getting to learn those fish and their habits, and you know, also just surprised at how many of those fish would would, would come up at a lure, you know, and miss the bait take that effort completely miss the bait but yet you'd never see that fish again and you could you, know, you could pass that same spot you could walk on a figure eight you could do all of those things but nah once they made that one effort if you didn't get them they were gone and you were done and you just you hope maybe that fish was still there a few days later or something like that but it wasn't ever a matter that the fish was going to come back another direction or you cast back with a different bait or you do the figure eight and you watch for the fish and eventually comes up. It just, it was, uh, you know, it was interesting how that just, that didn't happen in that system. Those, those fish would make that big effort. They'd come up. Boy, if you didn't get them up and you didn't catch them, it was over. Just move on. That's funny that you say that because I had a conversation with a friend of mine over Labor Day and we we're fishing a particular lake and I kind of said the same thing. My daughter came in, she had a fish come in on a figure eight and she, she uh, came around on the figure eight then she sped it up and this fish just, cr- you know, crushed it. And, you know, I'm like, well, uh, bad thing is we lost it, but I'm like, a good thing is we actually got it to eat because it seems like, you know, and, and got hooks to it, which I guess it's bad that you lost it. But at the same point, um, getting on your point is a lot of times we'll see that where they're they'll miss it and you'd think that you know with two other anglers in the boat that somebody else is going to have a shot at that same fish but nope it's like if they expend that energy and it's not that way on all systems but on a couple of them like you said they once once they make that effort if they miss it's like yeah i'm you know either not hungry enough or i'm not going to do it or or maybe at that point you blew your cover or whatever the reason is they just won't come back on it again yeah the fish that i catch in the big water in the fall virtually completely the opposite if you feel a strike you think you had a strike uh you know you you know you've got something going on uh that fish is going to be behind the bait that fish is going to be there and then you know you can go into a figure eight potentially catch that fish or you can see it or or that fish you might feel that you know i've I've had i even had a client in the boat once that you know had a fish on and i got the net in my hand and he's like oh it's gone all done for and you know, reeling the bait in and whether it's the same fish or not, you know, we'll never know, but boom, fish comes up and smacks his lure and he's got it on again. And so those fish in that bigger body of water that I fish in the fall, they're completely the, I would say they're completely the opposite. I mean, they will, you know, they chase after that bait. They put the effort in and they keep going and they keep going until they get the bait and, uh, which, which is a plus sometimes, but, uh, just completely different characteristics of those, of those two styles of fish for sure. And, and it's still the same. I can go up to that river system and fish it. And like I said, you'll, you'll see a fish and if you don't hook them, you might as well move on because they just don't come back again. But yet those bigger water fish that I catch in the fall, you miss one or have one that you know you potentially had a fish hit, 
they're going to be there. They're, they're all nine times out of 10, they're right there behind the base. They're, so just really, really unique and how different that, uh, you know, those two bodies of water are and how you can learn how those fish react. So, you know, knows why. <laughs> right. Getting back to your, your, your river fishing, you know, when it, we could talk about high water and low water. Did you notice much of a difference between the fishing, you know, between high and high and low water? And did you have a preference if the water was high or low or, or at, you know, such a young age where you're just like, Hey, I'm going fishing. It doesn't matter high or low. I'm we're, we're in it for the long yeah. haul. Yeah. So it was a pretty unique system. It, it, it floods every spring. So in the springtime, it's a, it's a pretty epic event, you know, it's flooded, it's muddy water, it's super high. And then once that thing came down, I think then the fish come in the river and, you know, they can do their spawning and, and then they hang around because, hey, there's some nice, you know, there's some nice feed in here and so some nice cover. And I think they stick around for quite a while, but uh, not so much height of the river, but certainly the flow, the amount of current, that kind of stuff. And the, and the, the clarity of the water, I think, was always the biggest key for me. Uh, that river system, if you had a heavy rainfall, yeah, it turned to, to chocolate milk, you know, it's, it's terrible clarity. And in that kind of thing, you're just, you you might as well give up, but you get a little bit of a stained water that, uh, you know, that, that system never, it's a river. So it's never going to be as as clear as most of your lakes, you know, some decent clarity and, uh, a nicer looking, nicer looking water. That's primarily what we're looking for. But as far as, you know, whether it was high or low really didn't seem to affect us a whole lot. We didn't have other than that first spring event you really didn't have much fluctuation throughout the season of of uh, water depth it was more the current and the clarity that could you know that could really get you um and if the clarity went to crap you could, you could give up you know, wait for it to calm down or wait for it to clear up and and uh move on from there all right doug so I like river fishing. I think it's super cool, but what people really want to know about and they want to talk about is chasing big fish, especially, I mean, we're getting into fall time. So, I mean, you have to be getting excited because I know this is the time of year, starting the time of year when you start sending me pictures of, you know, these fish and a lot of them have massive girths and everything like that. I know you're fishing big water. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, breaking down big water because it can apply to people that are fishing. I mean, big water can be, you know, the theory I'm breaking it down can be applied to, you know, lakes of any size, essentially, you know. So why don't we talk a little bit about how how'd you find these fish that you were, you know, that you're chasing now and and we'll kind of you can start the conversation there. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, not going to lie, certainly I had friends that showed me some of the areas and some of the spots and, you know, how, where they were kind of locating some muskies out in the system. But then, you know, just, just breaking down and taking some tactics and, and getting to learn that body water too. And, you know, what makes a fish be over here versus over there and what makes you catch a 40 pound fish versus a 15 pound fish. And, um, you know, one thing I do that's uh, a big key is I make an effort, uh, make it a point. I, I do fish that system consistently throughout the year, but, but your point is correct that once I hit October, I virtually don't go anywhere else. It's, it's not worth my time. There's a lot of other opportunities around my area in Northern Michigan, and there's a lot of lakes that have muskies in them. There's a lot of rivers, there's a lot of opportunities. But um, my success and the size of fish that we've caught and my confidence level uh, just leads me right back to, to that, that area every time. 
but I do go out in the summer. Uh, you know, I chase weed beds in the summer. And uh, obviously, as you probably know, sometimes the weed beds will shift around. They're not always in the same spot. They don't always grow in, you know, exactly the same area. And I go out in the summer and I'll mark all those weed beds, um, waypoint as many weed beds as I possibly can, specifically, you know, at a certain depth, preferably 12 feet or deeper, 12 to 20 foot range, mark all those weed beds. And then when I go back in October, November, uh, yeah, those weed beds are considerably less. They've fallen apart. The weeds are matted down. You usually get some big wind events that have helped mat those weeds down and push them down. And on your graph, it might just look like a, you know, a clump of something on the bottom. You can't even really tell some of them are weed beds. They're just, they're all, you know, they're only a foot worth of matted down weeds, but they are still fish structures. You know, there's still fish there uh, and those fish will still hang out in those areas. That, that is a big key. Uh, I've also been very, very surprised what I've learned over the years and, and paying attention to icons and waypoints and where we catch these fish and where we see fish how little of a contour change will hold fish or will you know will retain fish Uh, i have one one break line in particular that i I make it a point to drift consistently and you're talking two foot difference you know you've got a 10 foot flat it drops to 12 and then eventually kind of tapers down to about 14 so you're talking two foot and then maybe another two foot in, a, in, in another distance and another, you know, 50 to a hundred yards. And, but that initial 10 to 12 foot is pretty sharp. That initial two foot drop is sharp and it just consistently holds fish. And I, I think in previous, you know, initially fishing out there and in, in previous times, I mean, you, know, you drive a boat over a two foot contour. What, you know, do you think to stop your boat and fish there? I mean, I don't think I would, you know, and until you do it and you realize that, Hey, that, that two foot break line will hold fish. Crazy. It's funny that you bring that up because I I've seen it before as well. I fished a shallow water body, you know, shallow body of water before. And it would, you know, I would say you got like a, the deepest part would be maybe like nine feet and there'd be some spots that we did a lot of trolling and you, you'd be in like that seven foot and it would drop to five foot or from five foot to seven foot and you would troll that break line. And it's amazing how it's not even, it's not even, like you said, it's hardly even a break line, but still congregates fish. It's really, it's just strange how, you know, everyone thinks they want, they need these really deep, steep break lines and stuff to congregate fish, but it's all about, you know, what's, what's available for the fish. I mean, if they don't have those available to them, then they're going to use whatever they can. You've got a, I've got a break line that, you know, half a mile away is from 15 feet to 40 feet instant now. And that two foot break line is more productive than anything. You know, and it's just, you drive, again, you drive your boat over it. What, what would your mind think to stop at a two foot drop, you know? And, uh, but it does, you know, and you can, and you can follow right along and you can look at my icons and they're just boom, 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 boom. They're, they're right along that contour. So that is one thing. And, and then just, uh, you know, how some of the fish transition from wheat beds to rock piles to some extent. You focus on some rock piles as well and, and some different areas like that. I get the, I get the benefit of that body of water I have in both. And the later on in the season you go, and I think, of course, this transitions right into the whole Cisco whitefish spawn 
whatever you want to call those fish or consider them, but you know, they're hovering around those rock shelves, those rock bars. That's, that's their, that's where they're going to be in November at full moon. And that's where the muskies are going to be. But, uh, I also have this, uh, silly belief, which, uh, uh, could be totally off the wall. And uh, I think me and Mike, he's kind of chatted about it a little bit. And I think he looked at me kind of funny thinking I was crazy. I do know that a lot of my fish are, you know, that they're, they're feeding, they're putting on the seed bag. They're really big fish. Of course, they're, they're gaining a lot of girth. And I really believe that those fish are going to a specific area. They're feeding, they're eating what they need to eat. And then they're retreating back to a flat area that is, you know, more like a, a, a previous wheat bed concentrated type area. And they're just relaxing, you know, they're chilling, they're digesting, they're doing whatever, they're relaxing, they're chilling there. And, and I do think that, and the reason I think that is I've caught a lot of very large fish in these areas where, you know, there isn't any bait. There's no bait there. There's no bait whatsoever, but there's, you know, there's this very minor contour or there's a flat with some weed buildup uh, and, and there's 30, 40 pound muskies hanging out there and you'll catch, you know, you'll catch them consistently through there. I don't know what other reason they would be there other than to, to hang out or hide or to go chill out. And I really think, I really believe that. I think these fish scoot on over to one particular area. They feed up, they eat what they got to eat. And I really believe they scoot on back and then they chill out in this, you know, 13, 14, 15 foot of water, and here comes dog, double dog bouncing along at slow speed in front of them, and it's game on. They'll take it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I know some guys that troll, and, and there has been some trollers out in that area, and they troll, and trollers will catch fish. But uh, my experience has been that some of those trolling guys, at least the ones I know pretty well, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're catching fish, but they're, they're catching consistently smaller fish than what you're catching out there casting. And again, I think that's just because it's October, it's November, it's December. I, I don't think a 40 pound muskie has any interest in chasing down a five mile an hour bait. Um, but you get this big rubber bait bouncing across in front of them and they don't have to put much effort in to eat it. And, uh, you get lucky. There's how I feel about some of that stuff. Sure. So quick question. How long do you think, you, how many hours or how many days or weeks did you spend out, you know, just, trying to chase down this bite before you started to find out, find some consistency in your patterns. Oh, a lot for sure. Uh, spent a lot of time out there. I had many days where I went out there and I was like, this sucks. This is terrible. I'm never coming back here again. It's, uh, you know, but confidence is a big thing. The confidence level, once you catch a couple fish, once you know the fish are there, um, you know, it's, it's all about the confidence and that's what brings me back there so often. I, I could be driving by the next best musky spot for all I know just to get to that spot. But the, just the confidence level that I have once you're there, once you're fishing, the anticipation of every cast. I mean, I'm, I'm just that guy. I'm, I am excited and wound up about it enough that, you know, I, I'm anticipating every cast that that bait is just going to get smoked. That wears on you after about 10 or 12 hours of casting when it doesn't. <laughs> but, uh, but literally, like, I... I when I'm there, I am anticipating every cast that that bait is going to get smoked. And so I'm just waiting for it. But uh, the, the confidence level is just huge. But it de definitely took a while. Definitely took a long time to get that confidence level up, catch a few fish, know that those fish are there, and, and realize how to catch them. 
you know, I did spend some time on that body of water trolling first because that's what, you know, I, one of my friends that is, you know, I grew up in that area and one of my other friends that lives in that area and uh, that he only trolled. You know, he told me, that's cool. You got to go out here and troll and troll with this bait at this and you'll catch a fish. And, you know, I trolled and I would get hung up on rock bars and reefs and I would lose lures. And I just, I was like, this is just, you know, this is not the place for me. I, I grew up casting on a river system and here I am out trolling this big, vast open water. Where do I need to be? I'm losing lures left and right. Uh, I was really frustrated. So it definitely took some time. But once I got a casting bite figured out where the fish were and had the, you know, endurance to stick it out and got the confidence level of catching a few big fish, now it's just, it's no big deal. Do you still spend some time, you know, cruising around trying to fish new spots or you pretty much have your milk run and and that's why you're going to dial in your day? I uh, definitely have a few spots that, uh, matter of fact, even this year, I've got a few new spots that I've, we've located and, and tried to really hammer out some fish and see what's, what's available where. But again, once I hit October, uh, it's hard to go anywhere else. And I know there's fish and, you know, I know other areas where there are fish and I know that uh, guys are catching fish in other locations and certain other spots and, I've spent a lot of time, you know, me and Mike Keith have chatted back and forth. Mike's been in the area a fair amount. He's, he's caught a couple of nice fish in a couple of different spots. So, you know, you know, those fish are there and they're in those different areas, but going to be honest, once I hit October, yeah, my boat doesn't, doesn't go too far off course. That's just, it's not worth it. I just can't do it. <laughs> and, uh, you just, you know, it's, again, it's the confidence level, knowing the fish are there and, how much effort do you put in somewhere else? And my mind is always thinking, I just spent, you know, two hours in this spot over here when that two hours, I, I could have missed a bite over there. And yeah, and that kind of stuff will drive me nuts. So it's, it's a pretty much standard routine, especially once we hit October. Sure. That definitely but, makes uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, do you find, you know, with your with the fish that you're targeting in this on the body water you're targeting, do you find that the moon has as much effect as you know other places that you've gone? I've heard somewhere some some at some point that I'm and I'm guessing you may may or may not know from your younger days back in when you were really young and you're targeting these river fish. I don't know if you would have even paid attention to to the moon, but if you've been back to them since, do you think the moon plays as important effect on rivers as it does in lakes? Because I've heard that you know, if you have flowing water, it doesn't it doesn't have as much effect. Do you do you buy that? <laughs> Let's talk a little I bit would, about moon phases. Yeah, so I I would agree with what you just said. I don't think the moon phase affects those river fish near as much, if if hardly at all. But I will admit, I didn't I didn't follow moon phase when I was younger. I didn't pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, I did look at a barometer. And, you know, when that moved, uh, if there was a storm moving in or something like that, that was, that was time to roll for me. That was when we went fishing, um, you know, in the river system, but moon phase for the big water fish and what I do October, November, December, a hundred percent. Do I fish around it? And do I plan all of my strategic efforts around minor and major and all that? No, I don't because you, I'm, I'm a big believer. You just got to have a lure in the water. You, you have to have your lure in the water. You have to spend some time casting. If you're too busy messing around, eating your cold pizza and you're messing with your GoPro and stuff, you're, you're not going to catch as many fish. Um, but 
if you're if your lure's in the water, you're going to catch more fish. But uh, those fall fish that I am chasing, does moon phase affect them? Oh my gosh, yes. And I believe for me, new moon has been more productive than full moon. Don't ask me why. I can't explain it. I, I don't know how. I'm not, I'm not involved enough to know how the moon phase even affects these fish enough. But uh, new moon has been extremely well to the point where, you know, I had one episode that I was out there by myself casting. I went uh, eight for 11 in a, you know, I had 10, 11 hour stretch. But, well, 10 hours or less because it was in November, so they're shorter days. But uh, eight for 11 by myself, you know, one guy throwing one lure in the water on a new moon day. I don't know what else to attribute it to. I mean, it had to have been related to some effect to the moon. It was, it was nuts. You couldn't make a bad cast. You know, it was crazy. Eight for so, 11 casting by yourself. Now, that's a solid day. That's one to get excited about. Eight, eight for 11, and I think uh, three of those fish were all over. You know, I think there was one that was like 48 and a half or 49. If I remember right, I think one was 51 and one was like 52 or 51 and three quarters, something crazy like that. But yeah, so three, you know, three 50-inch fish that were huge girths, massive fish. The rest of them are all 45, 46, 47. You know, you get a 47-incher on at the side of the boat at, at uh, 6.30 at night as it's getting dark and it gets off. And any other day, you'd be, you'd be upset and upset at yourself and pretty irate. And that day, you just laugh and say, wow, that was cool. And you go home. And uh, yeah, it was pretty nuts. So I do believe the moon phase definitely affects uh, big fish we caught last year. That big near 54-inch fish that was a 50-pounder, that, that was a full moon day. Uh, there was another fish caught right next to me within 12 minutes that was virtually a carbon copy of that fish. It was uh, almost as big, about, you know. So again, two, you know, two, one near 50-pounder and one 50-pounder that were caught 12 minutes apart from each other on a full moon day, you know, a mile away from each other or less. Yeah, you, you, you got to know that that has something to do with it. So it, it, definitely, it definitely affects the fish out there. But again, I, I agree. River fish, I don't, I don't think it's going to matter. I think your local weather and the pattern in your river, that whether it's water clarity or current, that, that's what's going to affect those fish. Well, let me, since you talked about catching, you know, eight muskies all by yourself in one day, What's the net situation like there? You know, we get people that talk about, they want us to talk about solo fishing and obviously one of the biggest struggles with solo fishing is solo netting. What's the technique like to get those? I mean, especially when you got a 52 next to the boat or, you know, what, whatever that you're, I mean, you're, you're pretty jacked up at that point. What do you Jeff, do to you keep told me yourself? I couldn't, uh, you told me I couldn't swear on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, what do you tell? It's a mess. Yeah. What's your like, what's your technique? How do you go about getting a 52-inch muskie in the net by yourself? It, it is an absolute mess. You got a 52-inch fish on a 9-foot rod, so you're, you're way out there anyway. You can't get the fish close to you. Uh, and then you got a net with this, you know, ginormous bag that you can't hardly move when you put it in the water. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real mess. Uh, and I've got some video to prove it, that it's really a disaster <laughs> and I've been really lucky to get a few fish in the boat that I shouldn't have deserved from solely from the net job. But, you know, it's just, it, it's finding the right time, the right, you know, the right opportunity to know when that fish is ready. And then, 
it's just trying to put it all together as quick as you can. Uh, give that fish a pull towards the boat and have that net in the water. Pull it up underneath the fish, and the minute you know that, uh, not the minute, the second you know that that fish is is not going to be able to get away, uh, you can drop that rod and pull the net up and, and be prepared, and, and, and you're done. But uh, but it, it is not an easy feat, and um, you, you get used to it. You know, I do think I, I've fished a lot by myself. And, you know, I'm fortunate now to be able to share the boat with some people and have some clients come and. And, and friends that fish with me and it's a lot more enjoyable for having somebody else in the boat. But, uh, but I do still, I still fish a lot by myself. I do a lot of last minute trips where if I get an opportunity and, uh, you know, my family's tied up doing something and now I got a minute and the weather's right, I'll just go. So I do still fish a lot by myself and that still happens a fair amount. I don't know how to describe it other than it's no fun and you just gotta be, you gotta be lucky. There, there's no real technique to describe to tell anybody, gee, do this or do that. It's, it's kind of a mess. Go, <laughs> go for it and hope and for the best. Love, it really is. You know, it's the nine foot, I love nine foot rods. The longer rods have made, you know, all the difference in the world of musky fishing and they've, they've really helped and stuff, but, uh, that it's a huge hindrance when you, you got a nine, you, you know, you reel up as far as you want, but that fish in your lure is still 10 feet out there with, by the time you figure your leader and stuff. So yeah, you know, you're choking up and you're getting in and stuff. It's, uh, quick, you know, quick question. Some people talk about using a jig ripper on your net for solo fishing. Is that something that you've ever tried or not? So awesome that you mentioned that I have not tried that yet. And I was, if I was still fishing as much solo as what I was just even a few years ago, uh, there would be one on my net because I agree. I, I think that's got to help to some extent. It's got to give you some leverage that you can help with. I have been running a jig ripper on a lot of my rods. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I really like it. I think with the fall season and you're wearing gloves and you're using big lures, I really think it's a big advantage. So I've enjoyed having it on my rods. I have yet to put it on a net, but I can definitely see where I think that would be an advantage for sure. And I can don't doubt that that's going to help with that. Well, we want to talk about baits and one bait in particular yet, but I one note I jotted down here right now is because you obviously do a lot of late season, you know, casting. It's one thing to try to stay warm when you're trolling, and there's lots of different options that you can do there. You know, Brad's talked about them on past podcasts, you know, seat heaters and just heaters in general, everything. What do you do to combat the cold when you're out there casting all day? Yeah, uh, dressing appropriately, having the right, you know, you got to be equipped for it and you got to be prepared. You have to realize that not only is it going to be cold, but you're out there in the water, that wind coming across the water, it's just all multiplied. So as much as you think you might be dressed and prepared for it, then take that and add a whole nother layer and you'll be, you might be okay. (laughs) So you, you just, you got to be prepared to be warm, to be layered up. Which then, of course, becomes an issue with some guys that, you know, if they show up with their big snowmobile and winter jacket, now they can't cast because they're all, you know, they're all bound up. And, um, but I do, I, I carry a buddy heater with me. Buddy heater's key for me. Uh, you know, you got to have something in the boat to help keep people warm and keep your hands warm. Sometimes it's warming up reels. Uh, I have a, actually have a, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Kobe Keller. He's, he's got a couple of YouTube videos on, but he did a YouTube video with me a few years ago and we started it was 16 degrees out um, when we started and it was just dumb like we shouldn't have even went fishing but uh um but you know we caught fish and we made it happen 
do a lot of stuff as far as line. You know, I, I switch line in the fall uh, just because some line holds too much water. That'll cause a lot of problems. I switch reels. I use a lot of low-profile reels, you know, the, the tranks and the pro racks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, June, July, and August and stuff. But when I get into October, got to switch to the old traditional round reel Garcias and stuff because those those low profile reels can't handle it. They they can't get iced up. They get iced up. They're busted in two minutes. And uh, I had that problem last year. And, you know, you just, you got to switch reels, got to switch line, got to be prepared for that colder weather and, and uh, just make sure your clients are, you know, uh, they know what they're doing and they're, they're dressed up and uh, gloves. Finding the right glove is very tough. You might as well bring two or three or four pairs of gloves uh, virtually every day because you're not going to find one pair of gloves that, that, that work and stay dry. At least that's been my experience. I haven't found any yet. That's what I was more wondering about was the glove situation. There, like you said, there's tons of new suits out there that can keep you warm. I have the uh, Sims Insulated Challenger suit. That thing has been really good for me. I'm sure there's a bunch of other companies out there that have them as well. And but the glove situation, I I've struggled, and I know lots of other people struggle to just try to keep your hands warm and dry to try to keep both of those things. You know, it's it's a struggle for us late season musky anglers. Yeah, yeah, I use a ton of the surgical style gloves. I, I don't know what you want to call them, but you know those blue and black surgical style gloves. Um, use a ton of those. You know, we put those on. Those will help keep your hands dry, at least to some extent. So those tend to work pretty well for me. And then, you know, and then like a, like a, either a half glove or a glove, you've got some fingers cut off of over top of that or just a, a glove over top of that. So a lot of it depends on how comfortable you are with the equipment, you know, what reel you're using. Can you still operate the equipment with full gloves on or, you know, is your client just not able to do it? But for most people, uh, uh, you know, it's a thin pair of surgical gloves and then another pair of gloves on top of that. Um, that'll really help and, and, I'll, and I'll switch those out pretty frequently you know you'll catch a fish have a fish in the net you take the gloves off and then use those gloves and those gloves get torn and you know so I mean it's nothing to go through two three four pairs of those gloves in a day but they're, they come in a box of a hundred so <laughs> who cares you gotta do it you know whatever yep. so but they, they do seem to help yeah I think that's a good tip I've used rubber gloves too just try to keep the water you know directly off your hands I'll use rubber gloves and then I'll put, um, you know, like a like a cheaper like cotton glove over the top of them. And I'll, I think, you know, at the local fleet farm for us, they have like ten packs of them. They're just white. And I'll literally change those out in my rubber gloves out. Sometimes, I mean, as often as needed, I guess. And I've done that to try to help out combat it too. And I'm still looking for like just like a per- the perfect glove. Someday they'll they'll have it, but with all the technology advancements that they have, they just have never found that to be, you know, the best option. Uh, it's just, it's a struggle, but that's, you know, like you said, you offered up some good advice there. All right, Doug, the weapon of choice for you has been for years, and my order history confirms that it's always the double dog, specifically the mag double dog. For, you know, I'll say this late fall, I mean, we're not in late fall yet. This one's going to come out first week in October. But, you know, what's the story? What what's, what makes this bait so special? Why do you think it's so special? And guess what? I just got a box today from Team Rhino with some <laughs> more double dogs and some more lures. So thanks again for the, uh, thanks again for the great, uh, you know, 
it's a great business that you've got going there and the amount of service that you provide and uh, it's pretty amazing you know you can have so many times and you probably probably know and have experienced that i've needed lures kind of either last minute or i get a bunch torn up and i'm like uh, you know i'll even try to get a hold of jeff and be like hey can you get me these lures this quick and and uh it's it's just awesome how 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 quick and how good of a job you guys do just uh with that stuff right right out of what you got going on but we definitely anyways, appreciate yeah. that yeah thank you for the yeah. kind words oh yeah it's great so anyways yeah i did get a nice new box today but uh, double dogs uh, you know i'm a big bait guy i, I love big bait so i always have uh, i don't know if it's just because the shock value of people looking at your lure and going oh my god that's what you use or you know what it is but uh, i've always always just use big baits and big bucktails and you know a, a double 10 bucktails a small bucktail for me i mean it's just that's just the way it is so mag double dog especially you know it's that confidence level thing again you know you catch a couple fish and then all of a sudden boom you catch you know you catch a 30 pounder you catch a 35 pounder you catch a couple 35 pounders you catch a 40 pounder and and, and now you that lure is not coming off your line you know it's um, I'm also not a big switch bait guy. Uh, well, you know, I don't switch bait. Um, I, I am the guy, and a lot of people will tell you if they fish with me, I will put a lure on and fish it all day long. Uh, and if I don't catch a fish on it, I don't catch a fish on it. But I don't, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to cast a lure for 30 minutes and be like, oh, they're not biting on white today. Time to go green and fish for another hour. And oh, they're not biting on green. Time to go black. That's not me at all. Uh, I put a lure on and I'm stuck with it. Uh, and I usually do the same thing to the people that are fishing with me. Here you go. Here's your lure for the day. And if for some reason it doesn't work out or you don't like it, let me know and maybe we can switch. But for the most part, this is your lure for the day. Uh, we're not we're not moving stuff around a lot. Uh, but the double dog has been great. A mag double dog specifically. I uh, like the profile. I think it looks you know, it's a, it's a good size lure, but it's not massive, massive, but it's certainly still a good size lure. It's got a nice, um, a nice look to it in the water. It's, uh, it's for fish. It's got a nice profile of looking like a good size bait. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's really a lot of it's been about the drop, the fall, the action of that lure. I'm moving these baits pretty slow. I'm not, I see, I've seen videos and I've had guys in my boat, they'll throw a dog out, they let it sink a little bit. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what is going on with this guy? Is he having a seizure? Is he dancing? Like, they're just they're jumping around. They're moving like crazy. They're popping this bait up and down and left and right. And that's not me. I'm throwing my bait out. I'm letting it fall. And I pull. Let it fall. Pull. Let it fall. Maybe, maybe change it up every once in a while. But honestly, 80% of my time is pretty routine it's pull fall pull fall pull fall i'm not bouncing it left and right and crazy and up and down and doing circles and i'm not doing that and, and that double dog just does i think it does enough action in the water that it don't need to make it do all that work the the slower fall i think has been a bonus um you know i'm not fishing real deep water most of the water i'm fishing is 15 foot 16 feet you know, 14 to 16 feet. Rarely am I in water that's over 20 foot. So I think it's key to get that bait in that zone and let it be in that zone as long as possible. 
have that slower fall, that slower presentation. And again, I really think a, a big part of our success is we're just we're slowly rolling that bait across those fish to the point where it's an easy target for them, and it doesn't matter if they're jam packed full already; they'll, they'll still come eat it. <laughs> so, and uh, that's, uh, that's where I think double dogs and such a hit. Yeah, definitely has a much slower fall rate than like a traditional mag dog would. It's not so much. I don't think there's so much weight in the head of it. Yeah, absolutely. It just, it is a, you know, it's a pretty, when you're talking rubber baits in general and all the new stuff that's out there, it's pretty basic. It's a pretty basic fall. It's, you know, again, I'm not doing anything crazy with it, but it's still got quite a bit of action. You got those two tails moving around and, um, you know, you got a nice slow presentation and that's, that's what we're looking for in the fall of the year. So, and again, confidence level is a big thing. You know, you catch, like I said, you catch a few fish and man, it's just over and over and over. But, um, uh, you know, the other thing uh, I would hint on is we've got, uh, you know, not to get off topic of muskies, but or big northern pike, you know, and you've probably seen a few pictures I've shared with you, but got some huge pike in the fall of the year on these baits as well. And uh, they're, they're great producers on that if you can. You, know, you find the pike, you find the right location of where they're at, and uh, you know that they absolutely love these baits. Fortunate enough to get a few, you know, upper upper forty inch pike that are running thirty to thirty two pound fish. They're very fat in the ears, fat in the fall, and um, it's been a lot of fun doing that as well. So, yeah, well, uh, one thing is, I mean, around by me, finding a a pike over forty inches is much much more difficult than finding a northern over forty inches. So those. I mean, when they, you know, that's a whole different animal. I know musky anglers, we give pike a bad name, but when they're that big, we'll gladly take <laughs> pictures of those. We have uh, been very fortunate to have a ton of northern pike that are, you know, over 42, 44, 45s. And, and we've had, you know, I've had numerous ones that are 46 and 48s and 49s. Yeah, you, you're right. You start catching pike that are. I don't care who you are. You start catching a 45-inch or bigger northern, and you start catching can, catching them consistently uh it's a whole different ball game and it's it's a hell of a lot of fun so yeah yeah absolutely so on you know quick question it's kind of just on the fishery in general i haven't ever seen a picture of a tiger from you at least i don't think that i ever have with having that many pike and muskies in there do you ever find them yeah we have we have uh we've caught a few for sure um very few but i have i have caught a few um, but they've, you know, they're smaller fish. They're certainly more elusive to everybody. Um, but we've come across a few, but not, not many. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But the interesting thing is enough too, is that, you know, in the fall of the year, when we're out there musky fishing and, you know, we're, we're, we're getting good quantities, like, you know, like we had with, with Mike and, you know, we're catching 16 fish in a couple of days or 20 some fish in a couple of days, um, had a super strong stretch there even this the last few years, but I mean, it's once the bite happens, it's pretty consistent. Uh, last year was really good. You know, we catch, you put eight, nine muskies in the boat every day, you know, and, and you're not coming across a Northern pike. You're not catching a single Northern pike. They're just, they're not around. They're not there. And, but yet, you know, I've got another body of water that I go to that this time of year in October, I can catch a 45 to 46 inch Northern there. I might see a muskie there. I have caught muskies there, but much, uh, much more rare, you know, so you're not, 
you're not banging muskies there, but boy, you're banging northern pike, um, you know, like no tomorrow. So it's interesting how those some bodies of water these fish do seem to hang out together. And I know there's I know there's places where they are together, but uh, my experience and my bodies of water, uh, they don't seem to be too friendly to each other. They're not they're not hanging out together. <laughs> they're not they're not very close by. It seems like. You know, when backing up to the double dog, what's what's the rod situation like to throw that thing? Because it's not, you know, in my opinion, it's not like throwing a pounder. It definitely is, you know, it's it's on the big side, but it's not. It's in one of those baits that I would say your average angler could throw all day long. It might be a tad big for some, but for the most part, it's not, you know, brutally horrible bait to throw. It's definitely not torture like, you know, some of those bigger baits can be. You know, what's the rod deal like that? Mainly, I'm throwing nine foot, eight, six, and nine foot. Um, I do like the um, the bulldog rods. I'm using a ton of those. You know, we're using the you know the extra extra heavy or something. But uh, I do like a really uh, heavy rod as well. The rod that I personally am throwing, no matter whether I'm throwing a mag double or a pounder or whatever, is I'm throwing one of those four X nine footers, and, and I just I prefer that super stiff rod. I can I get used to it to the point where I can feel everything. I can move a, a mag double dog through the water, and I can know if it ticked a weed. I know if it hit a rock. I know if it's in a fish's mouth. I can feel everything, and and I think it is just personal preference. And you get to know it, and you get to know your own rod and reel and line and that kind of thing. So, but if I if I switch rods to something that's got a you know, that's more of a bucktail topwater ride and it's got a, a lot of bend in the tip and, and, uh, which I have some of those. And then all of a sudden I throw a mag dog on it and I pull it through the water and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't even tell what I'm doing. Like I just, I just so different for me, but I do tend to have a lot of guys throw that, you know, that nine foot, uh, heavy bulldog rods, typically hundred pound test power pro or, um, Suffolk stuff. I'm using either one of those two. Yeah, I, I like those heavy rods with a really stiff tip that, you know, you can feel what's going on. And then once it's time to just throw that baby home and set the hook, you can, you can feel pretty confident that's going to happen. All right, Doug, you know, we're getting close to the en- end of the interview here. If you're looking for one tip maybe to help a couple people catch a couple extra muskies this fall, what do you think it would be? I know it's kind of going to sound silly, Jeff, but it's literally just keeping your bait in the water. You know, it's the, the, when I go fishing, um, obviously pretty diehard guy. I'm sun up to sundown. I don't go in to go potty. I don't go in to go lunch. I don't go, you know, I don't stop to do anything. And I will fish from the time the boat hits the water until we're off the water. And I will cast, cast, and cast. I realize not everybody's into that and set up that way and, uh, and, and is wired that way. But the more you can keep a lure in the water, just simply the more chance you're going to have to catch a fish. I see so many people that, you know, whether it's they're going to take a break now or they got to eat or they got to do this or do that. And, and um, you know, then all of a sudden, boom, they're caught a fish. And then, you know, a couple hours later, it's got another fish and that's a good fish. And I've had numerous times where I've been out and I start feeling guilty. I'm like, oh, you've got three fish and the guys in the front of the boat haven't caught anything. Uh, Mike Keys. <laughs> I don't want to beat up a Mike, but man, you know, Mike, we fished for almost three days and he didn't catch a fish. 
but um <laughs> but no we had we did have a really good time but no really just it's it's keeping a lure in the you know cast as much as you can keep the lure in the water as much as you can if if you if the bait's too heavy for you too big just say something to to somebody or let your guide know that you're not comfortable with the bait or you know you're not comfortable fishing with it i think that happens to guys at times you know so just make sure you've got a, a lure that you're comfortable with that you're comfortable fishing with I mean, i know that's happened to guys that i've fished with before too I'll, you know they'll fish for a while and then i'll look at them and i'll be like do you want to switch up a little bit like do you want me to give you something different and be like yeah yeah but you may have noticed in my latest order there was a regular dog in there you probably thought I made a mistake when I clicked on the <laughs> cart. <laughs> nope, nope. There's a regular dog in there because, yeah, not not everybody's going to throw a mag dog or a pounder all day long. But, yeah, I mean, as silly as it sounds, it really is. It's just stick with it. Keep the bait in the water as much as possible. Make as many casts as you possibly can because it's just going to maximize those opportunities. And, and, and it'll happen. Yeah, it's especially important now as the, the days keep getting shorter. You know, in the summertime when you have you know, long days, lots of, you know, lots of hours to fish. It's, uh, you know, it's all magnified now because your hours to fish are smaller. Quick question. Do you do, do you ever night fish when you're out there? I know you've talked about, you know, like later and, you know, it's getting dark, but do you actually ever night fish, you know, in, uh, in October, November? I have not. Uh, my experience is, I shouldn't say I haven't, I have fished, you know, through into dark a little bit. I haven't night fished like through the night or, or purposely fished at night, but my experience has been that it's, you know, it hasn't, I've stuck it out a couple of times with people where it's like, okay, it's beautiful out. It's, you know, now it's dark, but it's not super cold. Let's, let's stick it out for another hour or two and nothing happens. So whether it just happens to be that, hey, I've done it a few times and it never paid off for me and maybe, maybe it was just the wrong night, but no, I, I, I haven't. Um, you know, first light, again, it's fall fishing, so you, typically some of my days you're you're really hoping that sun comes up to warm things up because you're sitting at the boat ramp and it's 18 degrees and you need something to happen or uh you know it's really cool but no it's you know and it's, it's usually enough effort during the day and you're putting in enough time that uh i really haven't haven't focused on it and haven't really bothered putting any effort into that so, Doug, if people are looking to, you know, like I said, learn more about your guide service or, you know, want to find more about your Facebook page, book a trip with you, how do they go about doing that again? Yeah, again, Facebook's a great way um, just because that's where a lot of my presence is at. And that's Mad Charters uh, or just personally, my name, I don't know if I'm about either. It's some foreign. But uh, Mad Charters does have a Facebook page. You can certainly hop in there, look at some of the pictures, uh, you know, be able to see some of the fish and some of the some of the stuff we've got going on, uh, I think my email address, phone number, all that's on there. My cell number is 906-322-2653. And feel free to text or call me anytime. And uh, I'd be glad to, you know, just uh, share those opportunities with them. Like I said, I'm not, I'm fortunate enough that uh, I'm not in it for the money because I got a full-time job. But unfortunately, that job does get in the way sometimes and prevents me from you know, being able to go, I'm not the kind of guy where, you know, unfortunately guys can call and just say, Hey Doug, I've got, uh, want to come up and fish Wednesday, Thursday, and you have that available. And when can we go? And I work every Wednesday, Thursday, pretty much. So <laughs> I have a, I have a job. So that opportunity just, you know, and that's not the way it is for me, but, um, but no, I just, I, you know, I, I love sharing the experience and, and being able to get people in the boat and, uh, that, that's what it's about more than anything. 
Sure. Well, you know, Doug, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to, you know, come on, talk with us, talk muskies with us. I really appreciate that. Thank you for, you know, being a loyal supporter of TRO from, oh, I don't know, probably almost like the beginning. I remember probably maybe our second Chicago show, first Chicago show. Didn't you and your wife show up? She brought us some musky cookies, something like that. <laughs> we we did, yeah. We went to one of the Chicago shows, and uh, you had, uh, you know, done a great job at getting me some getting me some orders fast and getting, you know, getting lures that we, that we wanted and just, you know, having that great experience that we had with TRO pretty early on. And yeah, I don't remember exactly when that was, but it was the Chicago musky show. And yeah, we showed up with some pretty fancy fish cookies and hopefully you guys got to, I don't know if you shared them or not, but. Yeah, I, shared, uh, I shared a couple of them. I'm, I'm fat <laughs> enough where I still like cookies, but I did give a couple of the guys in the booth a couple of cookies too. So, <laughs> but no, yeah, that was, uh, that was cool to, to at least get to say hello and, and meet you and, uh, and know what you got going on. But no, we, and we appreciate it again. I, I can't thank you enough. Like I said, the fast shipments and, um, uh, you know, just helping out with different stuff. I mean, heck we even, I think we, uh, kind of collaborated on that toxic shad color that you've got in a double dog where I, yep. you know, I, I took apart a couple of lures at one point in time and said, why, why not have one tail, one color, one tail, another color. Yep. I, I remember I, sending Brad, I, Brad Roos some text messages. Say, Hey Brad, can we do that? He's like, yeah, I think we can. I said, all right, let's try that. I definitely yeah. Remember yeah. That. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I had some lures cut up and welded together and uh, yeah, we sent some pictures back and forth and before you know it, we got another another color available so no it's good school and and uh i appreciate all that and uh, you guys have been great to work with and i was hoping to see that mag swimming dog you know i, I don't know where uh, i know brad's having some struggles getting that thing out or not available but i think just due to demand of everything he has going on right now that he just hasn't had the time or, and the production ca- uh, capacity to get that one out i I know he wants to get it out, but even his swimming invader has been very small batches released. So I know that he, I know he's trying to get things done, but I mean, demand for fishing equipment has just been, you know, crazy. It's you know unbelievable. I, I thank our customers every single week, how busy they've, they've kept us for the last couple of years. Um, you know, at the beginning of all this, I was a little concerned and, um, that, yeah, that concern went away, you know, you know, fairly quickly. Well, it happened, you know, in March and we had all these spring orders in and we had, you know, for us, I wouldn't say we're a very big company, you know, we had a lot of, um, you know, expense or we, we were going to be incurring a lot of expenses. And I was kind of you know, worried because a lot of these manufacturers have become friends. I mean, in the musky world, everything is kind of small. And so I was just concerned about making sure that we were going to be able to pay them for everything that they were going to get delivered. And I know that they need the orders to, you know, they need the orders to live because a lot of them are, you know, that's how they make their, their, their money selling lures. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want to cancel these orders on them, but I'm not sure what's exactly going to happen. I mean, I was literally going through personal finances to make sure that we could cover all the POs that we had out at that point. Cause this spring we're getting ready to go. I mean, and nobody expects their business to drop to zero and, you know, fortunately that didn't happen at all. It was quite the opposite. It's been insane ever since. And, you know, like I said, we, we just want to thank all of our customers you know, you and all of them just keep us going and, and, uh, all the support over the past, I mean, past two years for sure, but basically the past seven years with TRO, it's been, it's been a fun ride and hopefully it'll be a, a lot, a lot longer ride. And so anyways, Doug, I don't want to hold you up. I want to thank you again for everything that you've done for us. 
And I want to thank all of our listeners for coming out and listening to all of our episodes, including this episode. And I hope that you have a great fall on the water, Doug. I look forward to seeing some pictures from you. And we'll see everybody again next week with a new episode. Thanks, Jeff. I hope to share some pictures with you. Yeah, I hope so. 